If you're interested in uh, being baptized this next Sunday um, afternoon, 2 o'clock at the River Lotus Park, then Esther is out in, at the connection table out in the lobby. You can talk with her and touch base with her. Mark on that welcome card that Daniel asked you to fill out. Let us know you're interested, and we'll get a hold of you and talk to you about that. But it would be great to have you be a part of that as well. But it, if at all possible, it'd be, it's also great for you to be there and to celebrate um, with us as a church family as we do that. And um, again, don't worry, the water is getting colder, which means, which means, my, my son is a photographer, you know, on the river. He's like, yeah, the, it's dropped like, like seven or eight degrees, which is significant. It just means that you get numb quicker. So that's all you have to worry about. So remember, you're doing it for Jesus, not for, you know, that. So um, come and be baptized. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a great, great day. It's going to be a great experience. Let me pray for us, all right? Jesus, thank you so much um, for the reminders that you have given us throughout history. And just to think that as we watch those baptisms to, to know that you, Jesus, were baptized in the Jordan River. And as we take the, took these elements of a piece of bread and a cup of juice, that you led your disciples in that celebration and that remembrance before they really even understood what was going on. And that throughout the generations, every year, every day, there is a brother and a sister who has celebrated communion, who has been baptized for the last 2,000 years. And that we get to be a part of that legacy of faith. Jesus, I pray that you would encourage us this morning, Lord, that you would open up our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So one of the privileges that I have as a pastor is that I get to perform weddings. And one of the things that I always talk about is what I call the S word, all right, which is the word submission, because it's so popular of a word and a concept, right? So we might as well just get it right out there, right at the beginning, and thus just lay it out there. So I always talk about the S word, and that's what I call it. I say, I'm going to talk about the S word right now. And I don't tell the couple that I'm going to say what I'm going to say before I say it. They just have to stand there, right? You know, because I have the mic, and they haven't said I do yet. So, you know, I've got some power and authority over the whole the whole thing. So, and, um, and I know that they remember everything I say in that wedding ceremony because that's the most important thing that's going on, right? And this morning, we're actually continuing to talk about the S word because we started talking about the S word a couple of weeks ago when we were in 1 Peter. And if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open it up to 1 Peter. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3 today. If you're using the Bible app, remember that the notes are there on the Bible app. You just go and touch those little dots in the, the right-hand bottom corner, and um, it'll bring up an events place. You put, touch events, you choose Cold Springs Church, and there we are. And that the, the notes are there, and you can take notes on that. You can see the scriptures that I'm going to be referring to um, throughout the sermon. Um, but before we get into chapter 3, I, I want us to remind us again of what the context of which Peter is speaking these words that is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And so these are the things, this is the words that Peter sets up, this conversation that he's had for us around submission. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, 
They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And that this context here that Peter is speaking into is he says, listen, we, we live in these sort of these two worlds, this tension of the kingdom of God and in this world that we live in right now. And that there is a way to conduct ourselves that is going to, remember, point people to Jesus and secondly, not distract people from seeing Jesus. And that is a part of our mission as people of God in the world of how we are to live. And so we first looked at, you know, Peter first said, hey, you know what? Part of this S word is, is that you're going to be a person who's living under authority, and that relates to the government, right? And, and Peter uh, um, said these quite radical words, if you remember, um, where he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme as to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. I mean, that's a pretty radical statement within that time and definitely speaks into our culture today. And then he went on and um, also talked about that there's living under authority in the workplace. And he talked about servants or bond servants or slaves. And remember, slavery within the time of Peter is not within modern slavery, what we experienced, that horrendous evil within the United States and within Europe that was focused on black people, and, and particularly out of Africa. It's, it, it's a, two different things of what was going on there. And so... Peter addressed that of how do you live as a servant and, and probably the, the easiest context is that how do we live as people under authority of those who are over us in the, the marketplace or in the workplace or in the, the, the place that we are making our living. Well, what we, what we see here as Peter is laying this out is, is that he's reminding us that there's a way that life works, Right? There's a way that life works, and when we understand the way that life works, it's helpful for us to then begin to live in that. And the way that life works is submission is a part of the way that life works. The S word is a part of every one of our lives. And, and Scott McKnight says in his commentary on this, he said that, the, that to submit is a part of a larger pattern of living a holy life before unbelievers with the hope that the way that we live is going to have a positive impact upon us. So our behavior, we don't live just for ourselves. We live for God. We live for Jesus. And out of that, we live that others might see Jesus, might experience Jesus in their life. And, and the way to think about that is, is that as Peter is talking into this context, this ancient context of 2,000 years ago, is he's saying there's an order to the world. And I'm going to help you to understand how do you live in that order. Okay? And and so the, the, the challenge for us as contemporary you know, people and, and taking ancient scripture is, is that we have to understand, okay, there's a different order within the world. How do these principles that Peter spoke into that ancient world, how do we apply those today? And that's, what, you know, that's the, the value of preaching and teaching as we come together to say, okay, how do we live in the world today? 
And the other thing I think it's really important to remember is the, the context, okay? Context, context, context. So anytime we read scripture, we have to take it into the context within it's written. And there's a, a, there's a, a 60,000 foot context that is important for you and I to remember as we look at these words about submission that Peter is giving instructions of how you and I can live in a broken world. Did you know that? Did you know the world is broken? Do you have the expectation that it's perfect? That it's going to be perfect? It should be perfect, right? My marriage should be perfect. My children, my, my family should be perfect. My workplace should be perfect. My government should be perfect. I think that we, more than we recognize or acknowledge, we sort of have this expectation, oh, everybody's going to be perfect. Well, except for me, right? You know, because it's only human. I'm just human, right? But you people, be perfect. And Peter's saying, listen, we live in a broken world that is marred by sin. And, you know, the biblical story is this, is that God created, and if you remember, go to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, as it says, he created, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. He came to humankind, he came to Adam and Eve, and he said, it's very good. The intention and design of God is good, very good. But then humankind rebelled against God's goodness and his order, and brokenness came in, right? Okay, you can do anything except for this one thing, by the way. And what did Adam and Eve do? That one thing. And there's brokenness that came into the world. And rebellion, that rebellion, it created separation. Separation between each other. Adam and Eve started fighting interestingly enough, and they started hiding from God. And we've been doing the same thing ever since. Because brokenness came into God's perfect order. But God in his grace, he saw our brokenness, and he made a way, and he sent his son Jesus to be the bridge between our brokenness and God's order, his holiness, his love. Because he is a God of love. He is a God of grace. He is a God of mercy. And when we accept who we are, that we are broken, when we believe who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God, he is the bridge of life for us, and we choose to commit to follow Jesus, we then enter into his kingdom and we're saved. And and, and oftentimes, that sort of becomes the end of the story. I say, okay, you know, that's the end of the story. But it's not the end of the story because what God is up to, what Jesus inaugurated, is the restoration of his kingdom. Until one day, Jesus is going to return and everything is going to be made to rights. Everything is going to be made new. Everything is going to be perfect. Everything is going to be restored to the order that God intended and he designed in the beginning. Beginning of the book, end of the book. It's the same picture. The gospel of Jesus is that he is restoring creation. The good news of Jesus is that he is restoring creation, and it all began with his death and his resurrection on the cross. That's why it's so important, because he created that bridge that we can't. Um, N.T. Wright, who is one of my sort of heroes in the theological world, um, he's from England, and so he speaks a little funny. But um, he has this phrase where he talks about this, where he says that God is putting things to rights. 
He's going to put it to rights. And I love that phrase, is that, you know, that's the restoration work of God. That's why we plant churches. That's why we invite people to faith. That's why we invite people to be baptized and to take that next step. Because it is a part of the journey for us to be put to rights. But, you know, here's the thing, is, is that until then, we're living and navigating the wrongs. If something has to be put to rights, then there's something that is the wrongs that we are in the midst of and we are in the challenge of. And so, so that's, that's the world we live in. And here's something I want to say is, is that if submission is coming up, then it's actually an indication that something is wrong that needs to be made right. And what Peter is, is saying here is, is that, okay, this is, this is the way it has always been. <laughs> the beginning of creation, God said, here, I've made the perfect, beautiful world for you. You only have to submit to one thing. And they didn't do it. And we are in this journey, in this process of submitting to God so that we can be put to rights. And that submission to God is the essential. That is the foundational. That is the thing that overflows into every other relationship, whether it's government, whether it's work, whether it is marriage, whether it is parenting, whether it is childing, kidding. Not kidding, kidding, right? You know, kidding, being a child, being a kid. Let me read to you out of 2 Corinthians 9, 13. It's a, a story where uh, there's a, an offering that has got, been gathered together for the Jerusalem church, and, and Paul is um, affirming the Corinthian church about this. And l- listen to what he says. He says, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that you comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Let me read that again. They will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. The ultimate submission for us is to the gospel of Christ, to Jesus. And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. The inexpressible gift is Jesus that we submit to. And that passage is an example of submission to the gospel that led to generosity. It changed their life. And it changed their focus. So out of submission to Christ, all things are made to rights. So here's the thing that we have to remember as I talk about the S word. It's about submission to Jesus. Your life and my life. That's the foundational, fundamental thing that we need to focus on. And so Peter now goes into this thing of family matters, of how do we live as a family. And this is an example of what is called within the New Testament, uh, what theologians call it, the household codes. In other words, um, has anybody here ever uh, struggled with how, how to have a marriage that honors God in the world today? Has anybody ever struggled with that any, anywhere in your life? How about this? Have you ever struggled with how to be a good God-honoring parent in the world today? Anybody ever struggle with that? Okay. How about this? Have you ever struggled with how to be a good kid, a 
a good child of your parents in the world today? You guys, I want all of your hands up right now, okay? <laughs> Thank you very much. You made it so easy. You're all sitting together. It's like, you know, I better see some hands. See, it's a struggle. And, and this is a new, a new struggle. The Bible known this, has, has known this. God has known this. So he's given these codes to say, hey, in the world we're living today, this is how you live. And so in Colossians 3.18 uh, through 4.1, I'm not going to read the whole thing. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. That's what he the Lord. Husband, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything. Fathers, do not provoke your kids. Bondservants, obey everything. In, in everything, those who are your earthly masters. Masters, treat your bondservants fairly and justly. So he goes through and, he, and he, he addresses every one of the part of the family of God and the roles that they're playing in the world that they live. And interestingly enough, all of those people were together in the same church. He does the same in Ephesians 5. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He just goes through and he says, okay, the people in the church here, this is the way that you live. And then in Titus, it sort of goes more general. He says, older men are to be, identifies the characters of an older man. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. It says, okay, if you're an older woman, and um, this is the way you behave. Younger men, be self-controlled. Bond servants, be submissive to their own masters. It goes through. And then here we come to Peter. And let me read to you 1 Peter 3, these words that he writes. He says, likewise, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, called him, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Do you hear anything controversial in those words at all, that Peter, in our culture today? You know, do you hear anything if people read those words and go, that is, that is so old school. That, is, that has no relevance in the world today. It has absolute relevance in the world today. If you keep in mind of the way the world works. So you have this ancient world. You have this ancient context. Peter is speaking into it, right? And one of the, at the beginning of this, one of the things is to remember, again, context, context, context. He's addressing a particular issue and challenge, and he's speaking to wives whose husbands Wives who have followed Jesus whose husbands have not. And, and a, a, a woman has, has come to experience faith in Jesus, but she's in a family that that is not the family faith. And so it's like, how do I live? And Peter is giving instructions. The other thing about context within here is to remember, you know, what is marriage? 
Hey, what is marriage? Now, that's not controversial in the world at all either, right? You see, our world that we live in views marriage as a right. That marriage is my right to enter into and to leave as I want according to what, to who I am and how I see it. But when we look at marriage from a biblical direction, um, uh, perspective, marriage is a reflection. It's not a right, it's a reflection. Biblical marriage is a living picture of the gospel of Jesus. That's why it's so important theologically. That's why it's so important for uh, us as, and why there are such important conversations around it. God is taking what is different, man and woman, and he's bringing those differences together into one that is new, that is to reflect the glory of God in the world. That's the biblical picture of marriage. Marriage is a human reflection of divine truth. That is what God designed it to be. It's a a reflection of God's covenant love in the world. Now, here's the thing. You know, God knows that we're not perfect and that we are broken. We live in a broken world. But it doesn't change his desire, doesn't change his longing for how that we would function and how we would live. And Peter's, again, Peter's words here are this specific context of, okay, we, we have this brokenness that's going on there, so how do you live? How do you live in the midst of that? And there's this question of how should a wife conduct herself in a marriage? And that's where in verse 1, he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. And he's saying, listen, remember the larger context? Remember the larger context is that you submit to Christ? That in submitting to Christ, that you then can live in a way that points people, one, to Jesus, and two, does not distract people from seeing Jesus. And he's saying, okay, it's a hard situation, so how do you do that? This is an expression of that within this context. And and that, that, again, that context is like, okay, the, you, you are trying to live in such a way that your husband is going to see Jesus in you. And that is going to be an attractive thing that will draw him to begin to be curious and hopefully follow Jesus. But you know what, wives, you don't have any control over that. The only thing you have control over, you don't have any control over your husband. The only thing you have control over is you and the way that you live. You have no control over how he sees or how he responds to the godliness of your life. You only have control over you. And Peter's saying, wives, do your part. And trust God to do his part. Because people come to faith through a witness of another person. And wife, you are the witness in your husband's life. That's, that's the role that you are playing in this. Now, Peter goes on, and I have this, you know, this question, can women buy expensive shoes? 
um, you know, as he continues on with these instructions, because it's like, what, 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 gold, braided hair, gold, uh, what, um, okay, just rip that page out, you know, we don't need to pay attention to that, you know, again, sort of old school, we don't need to pay attention, so, and I was trying to think of, you know, popular expensive women's shoes, I could only think of Jimmy, Jimmy Choo's shoes, but I think I'm dating myself or something like that, and then, you know, I googled it, but it didn't help, all right, so, but Peter's going, hey, he says, when you, they see your respectful and pure conduct, do, and then he says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you, you wear. Okay, so is Peter saying in this, women, do not dress up? No. No. What he's doing is, is he's putting a contrast here. He says, and okay, I'm going to put it in a, I'm going to put it in a very modern sort of parable proverb. If you put lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig. <laughs> you ever heard that? It actually comes from about the 1800s. I looked that one up, you know, too. It's like, okay, where is this coming from? It became popular within the last, you know, you know, with some of the political conversations that have been happening here within the last, you know, decade or so. But it, it's been around for a while. If you put lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig. And that's what Peter's saying, is that you can look as good as you want on the outside, but if he, the inside has no character, then it's not pleasing to God. Because remember, the most important thing is our, that we're submitting to Christ and that there is more of Jesus in us. The point is, is that your character is what endures. Now, as I read that, you know, that Titus passage is about older men. This is where you're supposed to be in older women. I was, like, really offended that I think I come under the older man category by now. <laughs> the, the big 6-0 is at the end of this month. It's like, I guess, I think maybe, no, maybe we'll go to 70. That's an older man. Until then, you're a younger man. I, whatever. But here's the thing I noticed is that, is that there's this law of physics called gravity which affects this body, right? And that things wear out. And that you can work as hard as, and, as you want and you can spend a lot of money on, you know, plastic surgery if you have all that money and that type of thing to, to have, maintain, you can put lipstick all over. But it's what's inside that really matters. In Proverbs 31, 30, it says, charm is deceptive and beauty does not last. Um, the, the, the Hebrew word there is, is that beauty is but a breath. It, it, it goes away, particularly in the standards of the world today. I think, you, I think you can be beautiful in the world today from about age 20 to 22. Um, <laughs> after that or before that, you're done. I mean, you go on social media, you go whatever, you have about two years to be beautiful, okay? And then it's all over, so you might as well just give up, right? Now, see, because it just changes. It's just a crazy world we live in. And so if we are basing it upon the world around us, then, that, then we're, it's, it's but a breath. But a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. It's, and then, you know, he says there, he says, okay, what you should be, women, is this, is that you should have a gentle and quiet spirit. 
Has any, hus- any of your husbands said, you know what the Bible says? You should have a gentle and quiet spirit, dear. I'm not sure that's a gentle and quiet spirit. You know what the gentle and quiet spirit is a reflection of? Jesus. You know, Jesus was wont to uh, flip a few tables in his life, right? You're to have the character of Jesus. The next part is, is it's, okay, your role models are important. And it's, again, it's speaking to women. It's using this, this model of, of Sarah, you know, the ancient text from the Hebrew Bible. And so the first part is very specific in context, you know, through one, is, is that wives, you know, submit to your husbands or be subject to your husbands. And that's within that unbelieving partnership, believing, unbelieving. But here it's this more general. It says, okay, women... Who are your models for your relationship in your marriage? Because that matters. That is going to influence you. And he points to Sarah as this model. And, and he, he, he broadens it to, you know, all of our marriage relationships. And I think beyond that is, is that you're like, well, I'm not married, so I don't have to pay attention to this. No, here's the principle. Who you put into your life, who you're looking up to is going to shape and influence who you are and who you're going to be. So who are the mentors that you have in your life? Last week we talked about um, Cold Springs Church having 3G faith. Three gener- be a disciple who makes one who makes one, right? And we introduced this idea of mentoring, of be, you know, be a mentor to someone. Be mentored by someone or be mentoring one another. Is, is that... That, that's the reflection of it here, is, is that we want to influence each other towards Jesus. Okay. Thinking, okay, some of you are like, okay, we've talked enough about women and wives and stuff. Let's, can we move on? Yeah, we can. Okay, because husbands is household code. Here you go. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay, so what is that? It's like, ah, that doesn't count today. Rip that page out. We don't need to pay attention to that. No. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. Let's stop right there. Guys, your job is to take a PhD in who your wife is. And it's a never-ending, you know, study program, right? Unfortunately, sometimes it's pass or fail, right? It's like, ah, dang, screwed that one up. I was having a conversation with Pam the other day, you know, I was like, "Uh, you know, I'm not sure about this. She's like, you don't know that? Uh, Yeah, I do. I think, I I, I remember now, I remember now. To the woman as the weaker vessel. And let's just, you know, we'll be quick on this. It's speaking of physical, of, of, of the generalities of physical stature that women in general are weaker than men physically. It's not a moral issue. It's not a theological issue. It is not an um, ethical issue. It is just a, a difference. And that within this context where men can, could overpower and abuse women, it's saying that is never, ever acceptable. And that is a biblical principle that has no age to it.
See, the power of the gospel is this. It says, why do you live this way, husbands? He says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. You see, the radical, this is a radical teaching in the culture 2,000 years ago as it still is today. Because what the Bible is telling us, what Peter is telling us, is that he's reminding us of the radical message of the gospel. Is, is that everybody's equal at the foot of the cross. Everybody. Doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor. Doesn't matter if you're young or you're old, everybody is on equal ground at the foot of the cross. And that is a theme over and over. And so here's the challenge your attitude and your beliefs will determine your behavior. Your attitude and your beliefs will determine your behavior. So, how do you see your spouse? I'm talking specifically within relationships, within marriage. But think about this as your kids towards your parents, parents towards your kids. Wives, do you have a belief that your husband is lacking so that you don't have to honor or respect him because he's not honorable or worthy of respect? If that's, if that's the belief and the attitude that you have, let me tell you something. It's showing whether you think it is or not. And it's destroying your intimacy, it's destroying your husband, and it's destroying your marriage. Husbands, do you believe that your wife is less than you? That she needs to be kept in her place? It's showing, whether you think it is or not. And it's killing your intimacy, it's killing your wife, and it's killing your marriage. Attitude and beliefs determine our behavior. And what I'm convinced is that the Bible, under the, the work of the cross of Christ, he puts all people on even ground. Your wife, the person that you are living with, is a co-heir with Christ. And here, let me put it very clearly. Mutual submission is biblical submission. One of the most um, popular passages of taught about submission is in Ephesians. And it begins with the words, submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. When Jesus, when we submit to Christ first, mutual submission is the result of that, and that is a reflection of the kingdom of God. And so, guys, you thought, oh man, you talked a lot about women, but you didn't talk about us hardly at all. This is awesome, this is great. So here's my thing. Guys, it's time to grow up. Not done yet. It's time to grow up. That if you have, if you're thinking or if you're saying the word submission, that is pointing to a problem. And the problem probably isn't the person that you're pointing to. It's the other fingers that are pointing back. And it's a problem that begins to be dealt with in submission to Christ. You see, it's not about perfection in our wife or in our husband. It's about progress. That God has put you together in your marriage to help each other to know and to follow Jesus, to live out this kingdom life. I remember when I was in seminary, um, that one of the, the chapel speakers was a man by the name of Pastor Joseph Son, T-S-O-N. 
And he was a Romanian pastor, and that was when Romania was under a dictatorship, under a communist dictatorship. And he was a pastor, and he was a popular pastor who had a very popular voice, and he kept ending up in jail and being beaten for it. And he told about a conversation with his wife where he said, I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to do this anymore. And his wife said, you need to step up. It wasn't, oh, honey, that must be hard. I'm sure she thought that. She's a wonderful woman. But what she was doing is she was helping her husband, and he appreciated that she helped him to live into the life that Jesus was calling him to. Wives, encourage your husband. Everywhere else is ripping him apart. Everywhere else is ripping him apart. So, Jesus first. When Jesus is first, relationships are restored and strengthened. That's what Peter is saying. Put Jesus first. You're gonna, you live in a broken world. You're going to have challenges in your relationships. Government, work, family. Jesus first is the answer. So some questions to consider as we end. Where are you practicing submission in your life? Because that's the way life works. And all of life is a practice for the kingdom of God in us. And how is that feeling to you? Are you rebelling against it? You and Jesus might, might need to have a conversation. So what's your attitude about submission? How is that coming out in your behaviors? And wives, how are you seeking to intentionally reveal Jesus to your husband in the way you're living your life? And husbands, how are you intentionally working at living out Jesus' model of self-sacrifice toward your wife? 1 Peter 3.15 says, Put in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And there's no more important place for it to start than behind the door of your house, of your home. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word which challenges us, which stretches us, which invites us into a deeper life with you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to put you first, to submit to you, to your kingdom, work in us and through us, and particularly for our marriages. And Lord, I know, know there's a lot of brokenness in all of our lives around that critical relationship. There's a lot of pain through divorce. And Lord, I pray that your healing, your restoring and strengthening would happen in us and through us, that we might see you more and that we might point to you more in the world that we live. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.